Good evening or good morning, wherever you are today. This is Brandon once again with 238 Media. And I want to do a little teaching that centered around as apostolic Pentecostals, uh, what we believed about the spirit or what we believe rather <laughs> about the spirit of Jesus Christ. And uh, I was reading and going through some of some of my resources. And I'm going to be using as a reference the Tyndale Bible Dictionary, specifically pages uh, 1220 through 1221. And it's published by Tyndale House. And it's uh, contributing authors of W.A. Ewell and uh, P.W. Comfort uh, in 2001, which is very interesting to me about this, especially being a Trinitarian resource found it very interesting that much of the material, uh, I think from a oneness viewpoint, we could affirm. And so, of course, you know, my inquisitive uh, mind went to work. I said, now, it will be interesting if we were to use a oneness source, already at a Trinitarian source that articulated the pneumatological nuances of uh, uh, Christology. I wonder what people call it heresy if we use it word for word. (laughs) You know, but I'm just being petty. So let me just get to a bit. We are going to be dealing with uh, the spirit of Jesus Christ, which is in essence the spirit that's as uh, identified in the New Testament or that is identified with Jesus. And probably one of the most important development and elemental aspects that's seen in the earlier aspects of Christian uh, development or their understanding around the spirit is namely that the spirit or as we say in the south the holy ghost is that same spirit that is uh what we will call the spirit of jesus and i'm going to shotgun a few scriptures i hate to do it but there's so many of them but i would encourage you to visit them in your spare time uh that would be Acts 16 and 7 romans 8 and 9 galatians 4 and 6 philippians 1 19 first peter 1 11 and you can also see saint john 7 38 1526, 167, 1930, Revelation 3 and 1, and Good day, everybody. This is Brandon with 238 Media. I just wanted to make sure I took some time to let you know about this great tool that helps me to keep my podcast moving at a really good rate of production. This tool is Anchor by Spotify, and it is probably one of the easiest ways to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify Apple Podcasts, and a host of other options. It's everything you need in one place to make a podcast. And best of all, it is 100% free. So, hey, let me know what you think. And as always, it's the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. And so as we look into the nature of this subject, it is very helpful to recognize that the spirit is identified and uh, very much associated with the spirit that bears witness with Jesus Christ. So this spirit that is the spirit of Jesus Christ, according to St. John 15, 26, 
16 uh, chapter verses 13 through 15 acts 5 32 uh, verse 1 uh, Corinthians 12 and uh, excuse me first Corinthians 12 uh, at verse 3 first John 4 and 2 5 7 through 8 and Revelation 19 and 10 uh, that it really in a profound way makes it clear that the spirit that inspired and empowered uh, Jesus Christ himself uh, in the incarnation now, of course, we don't believe that spirit will be incarnate within us, but we believe that it will indwell us. And we have to, on the outset, recognize the unique relationship uh, that that same spirit, as the Bible says, that uh, raised Jesus from the dead, um, that if he dwells in you, it will also quicken your mortal bodies. This is in the life of the believer, the indwelling power of the spirit, but it is not an incarnational power of the spirit. That's something that's only uh, enjoyed in the life of Jesus Christ. But the witness of scripture that we have here, especially some of the keynote uh, aspects of the Bible, lets us know that the apostle John and Paul, they, they really make it quite clear. And this is where you see a lot of the mod uh, modality of how they would express what the Holy Ghost is, how they would express who the Spirit is. And they make it clear that uh, Christ uh, the spirit that is within Christ, uh, that when it would not only cause his resurrection, but it will be the self-same spirit enjoyed by believers that will allow us to live an overcoming life of victory. Now, what's of special attention to us is St. John 6, 33, uh, St. John 7, 37 verses uh, through 39 and various others. But it, it makes it very clear. And this is... Uh, and maybe I should entitle this episode uh, The Modality of the Spirit uh, because it looks as if that the understanding of the Spirit, of who He is and how He operates, is that it is interchangeably uh, used to describe uh, the very spiritual essence or reality of who Jesus is. And for me, I just think this is awesome. And I'm going to go a little bit further. And so when we look at the Spirit of Jesus, and I'm and I'm uh, pulling up some some references here that I believe that'll be helpful to us. Uh, it, it, I think it's of great importance to note that even in the first century church, uh, the understanding of the spirit was not that it was, in my viewpoint, a separate, distinct personage, but it is a multifaceted uh, manifestation of the disciples' already existing relationship. Now, there, what we must understand is that revelation concerning the spirit of Jesus is a progressive revelation that's given to us in the Gospel of John. And usually when I see people approach the pneumatology of Christ in the Gospel of John, whether you're one as a Trinitarian, that we have this tendency to go on this proof texting uh, campaign when you have to take into account, especially the last discourse of the Lord's Supper, uh, which would encompass uh, St. John 13, 14, 15 and 16, that we are dealing with some of the most profound uh, works of metaphysical Christology, in my opinion, that we see in any of the Gospels. Uh, John, as you will notice in his work, does not tell us from the beginning that people could not actually receive uh, eternal life until the hour of Christ's glorification. He, he, he kind of feeds us into it. 
But throughout the gospel, uh, we see through John's account, Jesus declares to various peoples that he can give them eternal life if they would believe on them. He goes on to a, a step further. And to me, when you see the just the modality or, 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 or the, the, the many faceted manifestations of uh, the, the, the modalistic language that the Lord uses, he promises them uh, the water of life that he would uh, give them the water of life. Uh, you know, he that believeth on me, as the scriptures have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But in the same book, he is also the bread of life. In the same book, he is the light of life. Uh, but notice, they could not partake of any of these things until after his death. What is the scripture trying to teach us? That these are only mere expressions of the relationship that will continue to develop in their already existing relationship in what Hebrews calls the days of his flesh. And as a foretaste or a sample uh, during his life, they could receive the Lord's words, which he let us know in St. John 6 and 33, were of themselves of spirit and life. But it would not be until the spirit would become available that all believers could actually become the recipients of the divine eternal life. And so after we look at the Lord's discourse in St. John 16, excuse me, St. John 6, Jesus said, it is the spirit that gives life and the flesh profits nothing. Now notice that's at verse 63. In the flesh, Jesus could not give them the bread of life, but when the spirit became available, they could have that, that life he talked about. Again, Jesus offered the water of life, even life flowing like rivers of living water to the Jews, assembled at the Feast of Tabernacles. He told them to come and to drink of them. Now notice, he is telling them, the Bible tells us, hallelujah, in one instance that he spake of the Holy Ghost, which they who would believe on them would receive. But where is he telling us that this water is going to flow from? Where is he telling us that this spirit is going to be given? Uh, he said that it's going to flow like rivers that he that believeth on me, as the spirit have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. He told them to come and to drink of him. Now notice, he still speaks speaking prophetically, but no one could then and there come and drink of him. Why? St. John 7 and 39. But this he spake concerning the spirit. For the spirit was not yet because Jesus was not yet glorified. What are you trying to say? Does this mean that Jesus has have to go through some supernatural metaphysical uh, ordeal? What the writer is trying to communicate to us in essence is that there is something that takes place post the resurrection of uh, the Lord that would allow the spirit to be given to believers all over the world. And so it is after Jesus has been glorified through the resurrection, through the time that he prophesied and he said, destroy this temple. And in three days, guess what? I will raise it up. But notice he said the father would raise it up. I'm not going to go on it. But the spirit of the glorified Jesus would be available for people to drink. St. John 6, Jesus offered himself as the bread of life to be eaten by people. St. John 7, he offered himself as the water of life. To refresh men, but no one could eat 
or drink of him until he became spirit and was intimated and uh, initiated in St. John 6 and 33 and then stated plainly in St. John 7:39. So as we see here, there is not a change of the divine nature, but there is a metamorphosis of the human nature in its glorified state that now allows the free flowing omnipresent spirit that was incarnate in the true man, uh, Jesus Christ, to be given to all believers. I believe it's in one portion of scripture and it's evading my mind at this moment, but it's saying that the Lord is that spirit. Now, in, it's in Corinthians. Some would try to say, well, you know, it's not really saying uh, that, that, that it's uh, <clears throat> that the Lord really is that spirit. But what, it, what it's really just saying is that, no, and, and, and let me see if I can find that verse, because I believe this is really helpful as we are trying to understand the deeper things of God, because one thing is, is, is for certain is that uh, he's made these resources free to us and we have to take advantage of them. So let me see if I can pull that spirit, um, <laughs> the spirit, <laughs> we pull the spirit up, pull that scripture up that makes it clear that uh, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And I'm, I'm going to that text right now. And maybe some of you can have it a little bit before I do, but let me pull it up here uh, where the spirit of the Lord is. Uh, there is liberty. Let me see. And I know it's in Corinthians, but you know how you have those moments where your thoughts just kind of leave you. And it's kind of hard for you to. It's in Second Corinthians three seventeen. Now this is this is fascinating because he's given the analogy. Uh, Bertie, let's just go to Second Corinthians. Uh, uh, let's just let's just start with the whole Second uh, Corinthians three. Let me see if I can pull that up because I think that's going to be beneficial. We're going to go to Second Corinthians three because this is this is profound and i was actually reading uh some church history and from jarslav pelican uh, that made it very clear that in the early church the spirit of jesus was used interchangeably with the holy ghost or jesus uh was the was seen as an interchangeable expression of the spirit that now dwells in believers. So we're going to Second uh, Corinthians, the third chapter, and this is about to get really good. Uh, I hate when these freezes happen. Uh, kind of makes things a little difficult, uh, but it's going to work out. Let's see here. Second Corinthians, uh, the third chapter. Now, the entire context of when you're dealing with it, you have to understand this, that Paul is speaking to Jews who are struggling with the change and administration is, if you will, with the uh, turning of the Mosaic law, things like that. And he's addressing the blindness uh, that that's kind of uh, been a stumbling block to the Jews of that particular area. And so well, St. John 3 and 17, we're going to pick up there and he's going to start dealing with the glory of the covenant. And this is all going to, you're going to all see how this ties into it. Uh, he goes on at verse seven. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone 
came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadfastly at the face of Moses because of his glory transition transitionatory through it was will not the ministry of the spirit be even more glorious now again he's he's bringing them back to exodus when moses would go on top of the mountain and he would commune with the lord he would have a uh, revelation with the lord the lord would fellowship with him one portion of scripture would say that the lord would speak to moses as a man speaks to his friend so this is a prosopon type situation that god is making himself personally relevant and because of this deep communion that Moses was experiencing with the Spirit of the Lord, what we find is that there was an impression or a reflection or a a a a a, 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 a deposit of glory that was seen upon Moses so much to the extent that when Moses would come back down from communing with the Lord, the glory of God would so overshadow Moses and be so apparently uh, glorious upon his visage that Moses would have to take a veil and literally put it over his face because those who were not exposed to the glory, those who could not handle the glory of God were not able to uh, commune with him because it was just too much. Uh, I remember one church mother was they just too merged. They just they just couldn't handle it. And so this is the context that the writer of Corinthians is bringing to base. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. What he is bringing us to understand that what Moses had was great, but it was a fading glory because after a while that glory would dissipate, but not this glory, hallelujah to his name, that we have in this current dispensation because this glory doesn't dissipate dissipate this glory uh it continues to reside among those who have received the spirit and if what was transitory came with glory how much greater is the glory of that which uh lasts therefore since we have such a hope we are very bold we are not like moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away but their minds were made dull for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read it has not been removed because only in christ is it taken away now notice this notice what paul is bringing to place the only way that this veil can be taken away is if it is in jesus christ verse 15 even to this day when moses is read a veil covers their hearts oh praise god now notice the heart is the inward man it is the true reality of the man it is the place of the hypostasis of that man the underlying reality but when any ever anyone turns to now notice the Lord, the veil is taken away. Dear friends, the one they're turning to who is the Lord is Jesus Christ. Verse 17, if, you don't, if you're not oneness by this point, I don't know what to tell you. Verse 17 makes it so clear. I just don't know what to do. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now what we must ask ourselves, Jesus Christ in his human body was not omnipresent, but in his spirit, because his spirit, his true human reality has been internally, uh, hypostatically enjoined to the divine nature that you cannot tell one from the other. So that this is why we can say as believers that it is Christ in me, Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
the same Holy Spirit that's enjoyed by a man in Asia can be enjoyed by a man in Mobile, Alabama. The same Holy Ghost that can be in the man that's living in a mansion can be the same Holy Ghost that lives in a man that's in a prison. Why? Because this is the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus said that if you believe on me as the scriptures have said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And Jesus told us that we are to drink of that water from him. Man, this is good. Well, this is part one. The next section that we're going to deal with next time is going to be the community of the spirit, because now we're going to go into the book of Acts, as one of my friends calls it, the book of facts. And now we see what it looks like to be full of Jesus. Now we see what the evidence is when one is full of Jesus. And now we see what it is for Jesus to operate in his church through his spirit. Hey, I hope I've said something that has blessed you and helped you. And as always, it is the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. The Lord bless you in Jesus' mighty name.